begin this morning, I want to just take a few minutes and remind you really of what community groups are all about. You'll notice that we've been uh, talking about them for the last couple weeks, and I preached on them back in June, I realized. And uh, we're not going to go into depth this morning, but I just want to kind of remind you and walk through a few things as to the purpose, what they are, what the purpose is, and, and I think you'll catch a drift. And for you to begin to pray, and maybe God would uh, really pull you into one of those. And I think really it is a, a path of discipleship for us that we're really excited about. Uh, so let's just, let me walk through. If you, they're on your sermon notes in the bulletin there if you want to follow along on that and on the screen as well. But the, some of the characteristics of community groups. And the first one is this. There's seven to ten adults who commit to meet together twice a month in a designated home. Now understand that their homes already lined up. They have homes have opened opened up already and have committed to those. And there's different nights that some of those meet on. And you can there's a sheet out there. My wife is out there uh, after the service, and you can take note of there's Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Sunday night um, options for you. So you just begin to pray as to maybe your uh, participation in that uh, street address address so the host homes are on there as well if driving is an issue. But they're also, number two, community groups are sized to have intentional openings for growth. Now, open chairs are reserved for people looking for a new church home and for people who may not be connected to a church and don't know Jesus. The essence of this is that word community has a double meaning. And the first part is community within our body. We want a group that grows together to love each other. It's heading to that first base, that B that's on the wall of, of belonging. That's the first part of it. But we want a second aspect of that, and that second aspect of community is the community out there. That people that we rub shoulders with at work and, and that live in this uh, Grand Rapids and the surrounding area. So the idea then is for the, some of those chairs we want, we are intentionally leaving spots open in those groups that will have, um, they're going to be able to invite people into that gathering on a regular basis. Third one here, we desire that community groups be intentional in blessing others in the community. And that's not, so that's outside of our walls that are not a part of GREFC. So we want to be blessing people who don't know Jesus or need Jesus in their life. And the idea here is that this may be family. It might be your family. It could be friends outside of church. It could be coworkers or neighbors that aren't connected to another church and, again, who, who may need Jesus. But, for example, if in your neighborhood you have a, a neighbor, a young couple that has had a baby recently, how cool would it be if a community group together said, we're going to bless that other, that young family, and we're going to bring them meals because they don't have a church that's going to bring any meals after, after that child is born. That's an example of blessing people and, and making a difference and entering their lives and inviting them into, into your life as a, as a community group. So the idea there is we want to be intentional. In every group, we want to encourage and foster blessing and serving the community, serving others, making a difference in the name of Jesus. Number four, we desire that community groups be built on the various phases and stages of life. Meaning this, if you're single, 
if you're married. And they also include, many of those groups will include children. And so they're, they're sized according, again, to the homes, how many they can take. But we want and we love to see generations that, that are going across the generational lines. I don't know if you realize it, but there's four generations in the church today. And we want those generations to mix up and to, to some degree. And so we are encouraged, you know, you, you think of your family. If you have children, they need more uncles and aunts, and they need more grandparents. It comes really handy at Christmas time, especially for those kids. But it's those kind of things that, that we want to encourage in terms of multi-generational opportunities. Number five, community groups will work to build family-type relationships within the group. We want to become a church that's that word family means something to us. And so the idea that when you think of this issue of together, we're going to address this more a little later, but this together, we eat together. One of the we're going to encourage community groups to eat together on a regular basis. But pray together, play together, spend time together, boo the Vikings together. I don't care, bless others together, whatever it might be. We want to do these things together. And consequently then, because of this, this is a little bit unique from the a traditional small group model, is that these groups are not going to be a study group. That's not their goal, is to get together and study on those evenings. But it's looking to love each other on a very intentional way. But there's a second part of these groups because they're not going to be a study group, is that we really believe that people need to go deeper together in their faith. And, and we want to create what's called the DNA group out of those groups. And to give a picture to it, I'll throw this on the screen. So in the upper left-hand corner, you can maybe double that. There would be four to eight people in, sitting at the table. But out of that group, Two or three of those men would gather together and begin to read the Bible together. Well, let me just give you the, um, what's written on the sheet there. So it'd be men and women only groups coming out of that community groups, two to four people that meet together to strive to spur each other on in their faith and the love for God. Matter of fact, I, I want to put a verse why this is so important in the, in the lives of, of all of us spiritually. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17. You know this one. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. People need each other in, our, in faith development. Now, we're not going to force you into these groups. They're going to be voluntarily. You're going to have to decide whether you want to do it. But do I believe that they're valuable meeting in these smaller groups? I go, absolutely. I really think it's critical for our faith development. And understand this. The model of Jesus himself, he, he did this kind of thing. And I don't know if you realize it, but he most often met with Peter, James, and John. Those were the three that he poured his life the most into. And then it was the, the, the next uh, other outside other disciples, and then the 70, and then the large groups after that. But he poured his life into three men very intentionally. And Paul followed suit. Paul also poured his life into a few other men. And look at 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Timothy went out, found other guys, and said, we need to multiply leadership and discipleship in the making. So he says, Timothy, and, and Timothy was one of those guys that, that uh, Paul met face-to-face and was discipling. And he goes, Timothy, now that I've done this to you, you go and do the same. So we want these discipleship groups to go deeper in their study for the Word, in prayer, intimacy, accountability. Another verse, let me just show you this, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. I used this last summer in June. As we pray most earnestly night and day, here's Paul praying for the people, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, as we grow in our faith, and as we're, we're called to turn around and say who is behind us, that we can also shape their faith as well. We're not perfect. Everybody knows that. But the call in our lives is to be discipling, become disciples who disciple. And so God invites us to be used in somebody else's life. Maybe it's just iron sharpening iron. Maybe it's you're taking someone intentionally that's younger in their faith and you're beginning to pour your life into them. But here's what we're looking for. Number two, the goal for DNA groups is to meet together two to four hours a month. So maybe those off weeks... The guys, some of those guys gather together and read the scriptures together. Just underline and, and hold each other accountable for going through the Bible every year. It, it could be a Bible study. It could be a theology book. It could be doing some kind of study. But the goal, again, is to dig deeper in our walk for Christ. And we believe as an elder board and as leaders that really that this can create a culture of disciple making within our church. So I would encourage you, uh, again, Deanna's out at the table there after the service, take a look and take one of the sheets with the different locations and, and just begin to pray uh, on this issue. But let me jump off from here in a little bit different direction. And that really applies, I think, to community groups, but it even goes wider. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I came across an article that was, in detail, I was talking about a couple different spectrums of people within the church. And on one hand, there was, on one side, was, the, was churches that are, are moving toward really emphasizing social justice and caring for people and loving people in the community. In one sense, blessing people. And on the other side, the other spectrum, this article went on to talk about the people that were fighting for the need for, for good biblical doctrine in, in the church. In one sense, purity for the gospel. But he went on to say how churches tend to begin to move one, one direction. Oftentimes, the churches don't remain in balance. And sometimes, actually, they move, and they don't even realize that they're moving. But as I pondered the article, my conclusion was they keep missing a couple points. And as I pondered it here, one of the issues here for me is that when those that are leaning toward, we got to have correct biblical doctrinal truth, and I, I want that. But they subtly begin to communicate that discipleship equals 
correct doctrine and acquiring knowledge that equals discipleship. And it goes on the belief, and a matter of fact, let me put on the screen, I think, the missing piece here. And I said this, people can know truth and not know the truth. Do you understand what that means? Is that some people focus on doctrine and forget about Jesus. And matter of fact, Jesus himself pointed this truth out. In John chapter 5, look how he, what, he, what John writes. And Jesus is talking here. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, the Pharisees were looking to the scriptures for salvation. And it was standing right in front of them. And they didn't get it. On the other hand, on the other side, there are people who are fighting for love and justice and reconciliation. And what they also begin to do is begin to equate that equals discipleship. And history has shown that, that, that too often that group slides into liberalism and begins to, to basically waver on the truth. And the goal then becomes not to offend people with the truths of Scripture. And yet I think something is missing on both when they, when they go down these paths. And here's, let me, if you're taking notes, I said it this way. Here's where I think they need to be thinking in a different box. Real discipleship is about having a real and constant and life-changing relationship with Jesus. Uh, about a month or so ago, I, I said this, 95% of those 18 to 30 are not connected to a church. It's the lowest percentage of any generation out there right now. And I believe one of the issues is that that generation does not get this. See, we must present to the world that a relationship with Jesus, yes, it's based on the transcendent Word of God, and the God reveals Himself to us, but it reveals a real, living, constant, and dynamic relationship with Himself. He invites us to love Him. And He invites us to direct our love away from the world, and He goes, come back to me. Put away the selfishness of your life and come back to me. Live in communion with me. I will change you. And ultimately, I think that's a message that the world at times is not hearing. And our community needs to hear this. But there's another missing piece that never gets talked about. And it's this, is that they, they're missing the family factor within churches of today. Or the bride of Christ would be another um, illustration of that. And it goes like this. Once the atoning work of Christ takes place in our lives, we have a new identity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
We are a part of a new family that goes beyond our biological family. And we are called to love each other deeply. And we are to demonstrate this love with one another in front of the world. Matter of fact, look at John chapter 17. I put it on your screen. If you've never underlined this in your Bibles, you need to do it. Or if you got an iPad or whatever, you need to highlight this particular verse. Understand, this is a prayer that Jesus prays just before he goes to the cross. He's praying for all of the believers. He first prays for the disciples, and then he prays for us. And this is at the heart of that prayer. Look at how it goes. Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now let me just stop there. Understand this. We are called to oneness within the body of Christ just like the Father's relationship with the Son. And have you ever stopped and pondered what the relationship of the Father is with His Son? And how dynamic that is. And and Jesus is praying that our relationship horizontally with one another would be that. Would look just like that. But let me keep going. I and them and you and me. That they may become even stronger, perfectly one. But there's also a reason that he wants us to become one with another. That the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You you see, our oneness and our relationship with Christ calls us to a relationship with each other. And these relationships are supposed to be observed and lived out openly with the people out there. When they watch us, how we relate to each other, it says that the Father's love is revealed to the world. And even the love that the Father has for His Son. See, every church... Yes, we have to look at the scriptures, and not just for knowledge's sake. We need to know Jesus. But every church needs to focus on relationships where we love each other profoundly. So that God's love is then revealed to the world through his Son. We keep thinking that evangelism is just about throwing the facts of the gospel out to people. And it is much more than that. They are to see our love for each other. And we live in a world where relationships are becoming more and more fragmented. Matter of fact, let me give you some statistics. Facebook. Do you realize that now that there is 1.15 billion on Facebook? And that's how people are connecting. How many are on Facebook here? Let's just get a... I'm on. Okay. I don't check it very often. Just don't have that many friends. This contradicts it. <laughs> Pinterest, 70 million. Okay, how many's on Pinterest? We got a few of you, yeah. My wife does it. Do you realize that you don't have to call anybody in person now to get uh, a recipe? 
you look on Pinterest or allrecipes.com. That's the one that I like. Um, you go there. You don't have to dial, call up a phone. Hey, do you have that recipe for? You don't need to do that anymore. Twitter. There's 200 million active users. There's actually closer to 400 that have a Twitter account. And just let's, how many do Twitter in here? A number of you. Okay, we had actually more in the first service. Okay. Some of you know, what's Twitter? Well, Twitter, you tweet, so you can look that up. But look at this, text messages. In the United States, there is 171 billion that go back and forth a month. Do we realize that how people are communicating this, these days? Look at this next one. American from eight, or eight, average age 18 to 29 send and receive 88 text messages a day. Wireless connections of smartphones, cell phones, tablets. In the United States, there's over 327,000 subscriptions. And the population is what? 310, that's million, I'm sorry, million. And 310 million, there's more subscriptions to cell phone services than there are people in, in the country. And that's consistent around the world, by the way. It's growing more and more that way. Even in Sahara, in the desert, in, in South Africa, or in Africa. Now, am I trying to apply that it's evil? No, not at all. But the challenge for some of us that are a little older we look at technology and we struggle with what's happening, but I have to be honest with myself. We stop and we look in the mirror and we go, am I really connected to people? Like Jesus is praying for the believers ahead? Even in our, my age demographic, are we really connected? And I, I'm not so sure. Now maybe we're connected to our biological families, but are we connected to our spiritual family? And so, whether we're young or whether we're old, what do we need to do? And one of the things I believe is this. We have to stop viewing our faith as private. When one has a private faith with God, they will inevitably live like they have no need of others in their lives spiritually. When it's just Jesus and me, why do I need anybody else? And yet God calls us to reach out to others, to present others complete in Christ, and to become a family. And how do we do that if we never sit down and spend time face-to-face -face with people? So a growing relationship should move us to live our lives with others and toward others. No relationships, little influence. Now I need to show you through the scriptures, there's a number of admonitions that fit deeply with this issue. And it's it really, it's calling us to a different way of life. And it implies to every church family that calls himself a church, and us included. You see, the Holy Spirit has inspired a series of verses that, that are called the one another scriptures. And the first is found in the book of Leviticus. And they're on the, your sermon notes. But look at what it says. This is the first one in Scripture. It says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. There's the first one another in Scripture. 
Now, that one doesn't need a lot of commentary, but it's this. We need to demonstrate integrity amongst the lives of believers. Don't lie, don't steal, don't deceive. Because the world watches us, and, and as they're checking us out, do we have integrity even with each other? But let, let me look at the next one. These are just written now through how they're at the beginning of the Bible, and I'm going to, toward the end. Zechariah 7.9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy, and compassion to one another. See, the question there, do we have the eyes to see the needs of people? And there are people within circles of the church that are looking and that having that as a priority, and it needs to be. But you notice the action words, administer justice, show mercy, and compassion, show compassion to each other, what's implied there? It's action. It's just not sitting on our hands. We're called to do something. The next one in Scripture, John 13, 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, is this literal that we should wash each other's feet? Well, it might not be bad sometimes, but we realize that it's, a, it's an act that, that Jesus demonstrated humility. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but he demonstrated a humility where he washed his disciples' feet and he was teaching them to serve. And he even served the one that was to betray him. So we are called to humble ourselves and to serve each other. Next one, John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He repeats it twice. But do you catch this? Who are we to model? And it's Jesus himself. As I have loved you, there's the model. Now, the question is, how am I supposed to love my wife? And what if the extent of loving my wife was this? If she was here, hi, Deanna. How's your week been? Oh, nice. See you in a couple days. What if it's that casual? You understand, relationships demands that we go deeper. We need the eyes of Jesus to see the needs of people and those that need to be loved. The next verse is the next verse. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, this circles back to John 17, and he repeats it as he prays it later. I understand this is in the upper room and why it's so important, why he's pushing his disciples here. It's so important. But the question would be, people will know that you're my disciples. What it implies is that we're developing a reputation. And what is that reputation even within the body of Christ? I think sometimes we have a greater passion for the Vikings game than we do for loving each other. But if the church loved each other to the degree that he's calling us to do this, do you realize that a church would always grow? It could not not grow. Why? People don't leave relationships when they feel loved. That's just a simple fact. Yeah, they may move out of town, whatever. 
But as people watch, loving relationships are so attractive. Now, do I think we're trying to do this as a church? The answer is yes. But do we need God's help to even do it better? I go, I, I think we do. But the result of loving each other is that outside people, the community out there, would begin to see us as followers of Jesus Christ. They would see us as a people rather than a building. People know us right now is the church that's over in the trees over on 63. But what would it be like if they actually, our reputation was this, they really care for each other. See, we keep thinking that having the right programs, the right music, the right preaching will grow the church. And I'm going, I don't think so. And I can't help but wonder if evangelism in the United States is so poor right now. And this is the reason why, because the church across the United States does not love each other. And it says when we love each other, that the world will see and will recognize us as disciples of Jesus. Look at the next one, Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another. And another, another, another here. Honor one another above yourselves. And, and you know what? I'm guessing that this goes beyond Twitter or some texts in terms of loving each other. Be devoted. I don't know if you know what that word means. It says means this. Loving affection. Prone to love. Loving tenderly. See, tenderness is hard to text, isn't it? How do you communicate tenderness in a text? Especially in how do you Twitter that? But that word honor, it means to give preference, to let the other person be first. There's a humility of, of lifting somebody else up and giving them preference. Let them go first. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Look at Romans 12, 16, the next one. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, that word harmony here, the NASV uses be of the same mind. It means this, to live with understanding. So we must understand the person if we're going to love them and minister to them. And that takes face-to-face -face time in order to understand people. Because without spending time with people, it often leads to judging and a lack of understanding. So we, do we know how the other person thinks? Some of their quirks, some of their desires, some of the things about their lives, their past. That's understanding, and we can love well when we do that. The next one, Romans 13.8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves is, his fellow man has fulfilled the law. 
See, Paul teaches us that loving each other is like a permanent mortgage. You know, we get thrilled when a mortgage is paid off, when the money, you know, we think of the church mortgage and getting paid off, and yet he's saying this. That really isn't the most satisfying thing. The debt we owe is to love each other. And that kind of permanent mortgage of loving each other is sweet, it's beautiful, and deeply fulfilling. And we can pay off the mortgage here, and if we don't retain a mortgage to love each other, it won't mean a whole, a whole lot. The next one down the line, Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. I think here the start for us is to gaze in a mirror in God's Word and see what is the log that might be in our eye. Now the context here is that we're called not to pass judgment on those issues that aren't so black and white. Sometimes behavior, sometimes beliefs. But it points out that judgment with people, it's connecting to the potential stumbling block for somebody else. And it demands that we look in the mirror, look at our own motives, and needing the wisdom of God as we intersect with people. One more. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now here's what we do on this one. We look at accepting others... As tolerance. So what if I were to read it this way? Tolerate one another, then just as Christ tolerated you, in order that you bring praise to God. And you go, no. Listen to the meaning of accepting here. This one really was hard. To take as one's companion. To take by the hand in order to lead aside. Accepting one another is actually inviting another person into a relationship. It's a bit different, isn't it, the way that we perceive that. In order... Oh, let me rephrase it. When we do that... And when God allows us to invite somebody into a relationship, do you notice the last part of that verse? That actually it becomes an act of worship when we do that. Pretty cool. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. When we invite people into our lives for a spiritual benefit, it gives praise to God. We're going to stop. We finished 10 one another's. And I don't know if you know that there's 28 more, if you've ever figured that out. And we're going to walk through those some more next week. But the challenge for us is what do we do with these one another's? They're speaking to us. They're speaking about relationships and living in relationships. And I would encourage you just to listen to the Holy Spirit, read those again, and what does God want us to do as a body? Let's stand and let's pray. 
Father, some of these are uh, hard, even that last one for, for myself, where sometimes we feel like we're just tolerating people. But Lord, you call us to something very different. You call us to affection and give love and tenderness and compassion to people. So Lord, I would first ask that you would continue to change my heart. Would you soften me? Would you give me better eyes to see people? And Lord, I would echo that prayer for everyone here. Lord, that we would begin to see people different. Lord, that we would be willing to reach out and love somebody else and invite them into a relationship to love them. And Lord, you want this church, you want us to become a family with each other. And when we do that, it cries out to the world that you love the world. You sent your son into this world. So Lord, uh, work in us, draw us together, change us from the inside out. May we become a light that's has a reputation of loving each other profoundly. So we give these, this, these one another's to you, and would you just stir us in next week as well as we continue on? Would you just work in us and help us to be pushing forward and being captured by your love and responding with love, loving one another in so many different ways? So we give this week to you. We give this afternoon to you. May you be gloried and honored this week in our lives. These things we pray in your name. Amen. If you don't know somebody around you, introduce yourself. Have a great Sunday. Have a great week.